everyone, and welcome back to the Rootless Living Podcast in episode number 44. My name is Damien Ross, and besides being the host of this podcast, I'm also the publisher of a digital nomad magazine called Rootless Living. A quick reminder, after this episode, head over to rootlessliving.com and grab a free, that's right, a free digital subscription to the Rootless Living magazine, and you can also purchase a print subscription as well. Today, I'm talking to Megan and Candice, and in this episode, we go over what it's like traveling with your best friend, and then after almost a year on the road, then deciding to go back and sell your bricks and sticks to keep going. But like always, before I say too much, let's get into the episode. All right. With that, I want to welcome Megan and Candice to the show. How are you guys? Doing well. Yeah, we're doing well. We're excited to be here with you. I'm excited to have you too. I mean, I say that with every guest, so don't get you know crazy because that's like the response <laughs> you have to say when people are excited. I'm the guy too that like when I would go to the movie theaters back when you go to the movie theaters and the guy was like, hey, enjoy your movie. I'd be like, yeah, you too. Oh, why did I say that? He's not going to watch a movie today. He's just taking tickets. Right. Like you're the, the lady that takes your ticket at the, when you're getting on an airplane, like have a nice flight. You're like, yeah, you too. You're like, oh yeah, she's not going anywhere. She's not. <laughs> That's just me. She doesn't have the cool job. <laughs> you have to rub it in. So well, by the end of the podcast, you really will be so excited that you sat down with us. Mm-hmm. So. All right. Guaranteed. Well, I'm, That's right. <laughs> I'm already there. So we're good to go. So where are you guys right now? Where are you guys sitting down? We are, uh, this is Megan. We are in Baton Rouge right now. Um, so I, uh, I own the RV and Candace has been on the journey with me for the past 10 months now, almost. Wow. And so she still had a house in Baton Rouge. That was her home base. And we came back about three weeks ago because she decided, you know what, we've been on the road now together for 10 months and it's been a blast. And we're gonna, we think we're going to keep doing it for at least another year. And so I'm going to sell my house and have a little bit more money to spend and to save. And so we're back here for the past few weeks, put her house in the market so that she'll also be full-timing it with me. Nice. Well, Megan, when did full-time start for you? Um, October. I bought the RV last August and then I spent several months getting ready for what full-time meant for work and for life. And then I moved in at the beginning of October of 2019. Okay. So relatively new. I mean, this is one of those lifestyles that I find it funny because I went through this when I was what they consider a newbie. I just thought it was funny that it had that kind of tag to it. You know, I don't remember that when I moved into my first apartment and someone was like, how long have you been living in this apartment? Oh, less than a year. Oh, you're such a newbie apartment owner. And I was like, wait, what? It's a weird phenomenon with this lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah, I never thought about that, but it's so true. There are some weird things with this lifestyle and they come up in the podcast sometimes, but let's go back before October, 2019. And we can talk, you know, about really where both of you guys were, if you want to, but where were you guys in October, 2019 before Megan, you hit the road. And then we can talk about Candace, what you're doing before you jumped on and joined her. Good question. So I had been a teacher for a teacher and a principal for the last 12 years since 2008 and was working um, in schools across the country, really. And then had gone through a divorce. And when I went through the divorce, had sold my house and asked Candace, hey, can I stay on your couch for a little while? And she's like, well, actually, I have a guest room. You can stay there for a little while. And that little while turned into a little over a year and a half or close to two years. And she didn't even know what she was agreeing to at the time. And so then when that all happened, it just created a lot of change. So I went from married to not married. I went from owning a house to not owning a house. And then I resigned from my job as well. And for a little while was unemployed and just driving for Uber and Lyft to make ends meet. Then I got a remote job. And as soon as I landed the remote job at that time, I had just been following different van lifers, RV lifers on social media and always thought, oh, that that would be so cool to do one day. But I never really thought it was possible for me. Then when I got the remote job, I thought, wait, maybe this is possible. And what what would this actually cost financially? Is, is this feasible? And then I made Candace drive to Florida and Texas and all these other places to do test drives with me because I had no idea what type of vehicle I would want to live in. Through that process, kind of narrowed it down. And I knew, okay, I want a drivable. I think that I want a small RV, not a van yet, maybe one day, but a small RV feels like the right fit now. So then went and purchased it in August, got ready. And and my boss said, as long as you can figure out internet and you're able to travel, whether through flying or through driving the RV to in-person trainings that I have to do from time to time, then we're good with you doing that. So I did. So I figured it out for the next couple of months. Candace and I took a couple of weekend trips to various places throughout Mississippi, trying to figure out internet and make sure it worked. We got it all situated. And so that's when we hit the road in October. Nice. And I would assume that 
especially lately, there's probably not a lot of live events. So you're just more really remote right now. Yes. Well, that's been so nice. My region for work is the Southeast region. So we were really for the first few months from October till about February or March, we were sticking to the Southeast region because once either a week or every couple of weeks, I would have to be at a location in Mississippi, Alabama, Oklahoma, that sort of area. When COVID hit in March, then I went fully virtual. And so we thought, sweet, we're going out West. We immediately hit the road and went to the South Dakota, Montana area because it allowed us to be fully remote. So it gave us time to be out there. Then we spent until we came back here to work on selling her house for the last three weeks. We've been out in the Montana, South Dakota area, and it's been incredible. Yeah, there is an upside in this whole pandemic COVID situation for certain people. And I talk about it and it's not to be like, yay, we get to do this. It's like, hey, here are the circumstances. Because of our lifestyle, it's a lot more fluid in these kind of situations. It's not to necessarily celebrate. I talk about on the podcast that the magazine's done really well since COVID, basically, because people are looking now, just like yourself in a way, is this feasible and doable? It does kind of suck that there are people that are really struggling and hurting. And then there are people that this has actually benefited and helped their lives in a way. I think everyone is really kind of super sensitive to, you know, just how it's, you know, for everyone. So I just want to say that just in case someone's like, oh, that's cool for you. You got to go west because there's always there's someone that's going to pick up and try to reverse it. Candace, for you, what were you doing that allowed you to, one, let a friend come live with you for two years? Sounds like you totally signed up and knew that. And then once she decided to go kind of full time, you're able to jump on board. Megs and I were teaching at the same school. It's a school here in Baton Rouge. Actually, we were both at the time in administration. And when Megs resigned, I was kind of getting to my burnt out point with teaching and working in a school. It's a hard life. So for all the teachers out there, God bless you. I decided that I didn't want to renew my contract my last year. And I didn't have a backup plan. There was no fail safe there, no safety net. I just knew that I was burnt out and I was done. I didn't renew my contract, but I thought, you know, if, if Megs could get a remote job, I could probably find one as well. You know, people are always looking for teachers. I was unemployed for a few weeks and was just looking for a job and uh, landed a remote one as well. And then when, once we were both remote, she was like, hey, I'm, I'm doing this. I, I'm, I got the RV. Like, if you want to come join me, this is the time for us to do this. We're both kind of footloose and and fancy free. There's nothing really keeping us here. So I'm hitting the road. If you want to come, come. I was like, well, hell yeah. I might not get this opportunity again. And we're not getting any younger. So let's do it. I just kind of left my house and... Picked up her cat and jumped in the RV. (laughs) picked up my cat and jumped in the RV. So like Meg said, it's my house has just been sitting here collecting dust for the last 10 months. And I'm paying a mortgage on it and paying all of my bills. And I'm like, what what is it? What am I doing here? I want to keep being out on the road. And I'm just sort of throwing away money here. We haven't killed each other yet. Yeah. And one of us isn't in a body bag or in in the bottom of a creek. We, uh, I just decided I'm going to sell it and start over when I'm ready to start over. Prior to all of this happening, I had actually just built this house three years ago when Megs was going through her divorce. And I felt really fortunate to be able to have the house and I had the extra room. I just felt that if I was blessed enough to be able to have the house, that if anybody needed a space, that I would always have it open to anybody. And she happened to need a space at that time. And so I was glad to be able to help her out and let her come stay here for one night or, you know, two years. <laughs> That's interesting. I, I hope we just didn't jinx ourselves so this podcast is going to end up on Dateline now where it's like... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Right. You remember when Candace was talking about the whole body bag and then like, in the, <laughs> <laughs> I don't really recall that. <laughs> I might, I might have to yeah. end. If, if you can't find me, you know, the first person to look, right? Exactly. They're going to come for me for sure. Well, I mean, that's just good karma all the way around. And the interesting kind of just dynamic of your guys's friendship and how one needed a place. And now it's the place I don't need and let's get on the road. And now you're seeing the lifestyle now wanting to do it. The selling of the house sounds really cool. Did you guys have any RV experience between either one of you before this? Uh, No. My grandparents had one growing up, but not like real adults uh, experience. No. 
we did rent one for oh, that's right yeah. a, a week and went out to the, we rented a towable headed out to the Grand Canyon just to kind of see you know because I had seen so many things where people were like I moved into this van and then a month later they were like and we hate it and we are so sad that we sold everything in our house. I don't want that to ever necessarily be my story. So I do want to try it a little bit first, you know, which is why I did. We did rent one for a week. I mean, a week is very different than a lifestyle. But and then I spent the two months, you know, from August to October trying it out for a little weekend trips just to see what is it going to feel like? And it still is very different than either of those experiences. But I think that they at least gave us a taste to we could actually do this. This is feasible. Yeah, I find it funny that the majority of the people that have been on the show had no RV experience. You would feel it'd be the other way around where they were like weekenders or some timers and just said, Mm -hmm. hey, we want to transition into this. But the majority have been no experience whatsoever. And then really fast from the decision to kind of do it to when they did do it. The renting thing I do want to talk about a little because I have a, a thesis that I've never done any studies. So it's just basically Damien's bullshit thoughts. It's that renting it and trying to compare it to the lifestyle, I feel is really kind of unfair in a sense, because I've rented things in the past and I've always forgotten something, you know, even a wine opener. I don't drink and that becomes really stressful. And then the time prepping, the time doing and then like the, the vacation from the vacation really throws people. It's too short term of something to decide whether or not it's a good life. And I get the whole idea of maybe it's too small, it's too big, you know, the three bear kind of thing. But that's just from being out on the road to decide, you know, to do it for a week and make a decision. I'm like, don't do that. Like Mm -hmm. you can get kind of an idea of, you know, maybe the type of rig, but to decide on the life after a week. And I think you kind of touched on that. You can't get the full idea from it, but at least you can get somewhat of a thought process of what kind of size of a rig you need. And, And that's why you see a lot of turnover in rigs. People ebb and flow into what works for them. What do you guys have right now? What are you guys living and traveling in right now? We live in a 22-foot Class C. It's a Winnebago Mini Winnie 22R. We live in that and no slides, which people think we're crazy. But because it was my first rig, I really didn't want to... As, as few parts that could break, that was my goal. So I'm like, let's get it small. Let's get no slides. And that really reduces the amount of things that I'm going to have to fix throughout living in this thing. No, that makes sense. Are you guys pulling a, a toad behind or is it just the 22? Just a 22. That's been my rabbit hole that I've been going down a lot right now is because we are at the point where now 10 months in, there's been enough times where we have wanted um, a smaller vehicle. And so we're just looking at what the cost looks like for that and what type of vehicle it will likely, because ours is so small, will likely be a smart car, which is just hilarious to think about driving around a smart car. At least for me, it is. I don't know why. but um, And so anyways, yeah, so we're looking into that. But right now, no toad. Yeah, the smart car is basically a golf cart with windows that roll up and down. Yes. It's literally. I know. We should probably just get a golf cart. Yeah, exactly. It'd probably be slightly safer. I feel like you can't get rear-ended in a smart car because that's it. It's like the bumper is like legitimately the lower back area, which is funny. But, but I see a ton of them in this lifestyle. And I'm amazed that there are times where I see them in the back of a pickup truck. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I'd never thought I would see that. So that's interesting. So right now, then obviously... Let's talk a little bit about what's been your guys' travel schedule with 22 feet and not a toad. It sounds like then anytime that you're somewhere and you need to go somewhere, you're obviously moving the entire home. But again, no slides. That definitely makes that easier because obviously that's one of the things in this lifestyle. I have five slides. So you kind of have to put all that stuff away before you head out. Let's talk about your travel schedule. What's that been like so far for you guys? What are you guys, where are you guys going? What are you guys been doing? I think sometimes much to the dismay of Candace, I don't know, maybe not, but I am a fly by the seat of my pants kind of traveler. And so I'm like, yeah, we'll be here until we're done being here and then we'll find the next place to go. And most of the time, I think that's fine. But I think sometimes it is a little bit stressful. Like, is there any type of agenda, anything here? I'm trying to work on that. But at the beginning from October through February, that's when we were doing our agenda was based on my travel because Candace's is one, her job is 100% remote. Wherever I had to be next, that's where we would go. And then in the interim, we would either stay in the place or we would find something nearby or in between the two locations to go. So that really kept us in that Southeast region. And then from March through a few weeks ago, we knew I had always wanted to see South Dakota and had always wanted, I was a huge fan as a child of Little House on the Prairie. And so I was like, you know what? I really want to go to DeSmet in South Dakota and see the prairie. I don't know why, but I really want to see that. 
Kana said, all right, well, let's do it. So we went up and at the time we looked at the map of where would be the best place for us to be during the pandemic in terms of the least amount of cases. And South Dakota was on that list because there's just so few people there. We went up there and we hit South Dakota and we just ended up loving it so much. And, and again, our philosophy has been, we'll stay here until we're ready to move on. And that's been a really big blessing, I would say, of this lifestyle is to be able to do that. We stayed in South Dakota and we were going to just be there for a few days. And then we ended up being in South Dakota, I think almost three weeks or maybe a month. It was uh, just across the whole state. That was awesome. And then we went from there and let's see, we went South Dakota to Yellowstone and Yellowstone blew our minds. I had no idea. You know, I thought Yellowstone equals old faithful. And then I was pleasantly surprised and uh, also humbled by how little I knew. And then we went from Yellowstone to the Grand Tetons. And then from there to Glacier and Idaho and Idaho, same thing. Idaho, we thought potatoes and holy cow, Idaho was phenomenal. I mean, just so much to see and do. And then I thought my work schedule was picking back up with travel. And so my sister who has a little eight month old said, if you want to see the baby before you start back to being around people again with your work then come see the baby. So within three days, we left Idaho and we were across the country in North Carolina visiting with my little niece and <laughs> spending a week there. At that trip, that's when Candace decided, I think I'm going to sell the house. Let's go sell the house. And so we came back down to Louisiana to get the house sold. But as soon as this house sells, we are headed back out to Idaho and we're going to stay there for a little while and then explore Washington, Oregon and explore the West and stay out in that area. That's very cool. I mean, I think there is no right or wrong way. I talk about this on the podcast and there are people that plan out every minute. And I think that's totally great for them. That's the way they want to do it. I've done a little bit of both. When I left, I was working for someone else and I had to go to conferences. So there was a lot of planning. It just became really stressful because you would be in a place and you would love it, but then you've got these reservations. And I just, at some point we just called quits on that. I'm like, well, wherever I am, I'll fly into the conference. Like I would, if I was just living back in California. It does make for a much better experience because it just allows you if, you, if a place touches you. And I, and I talk about this and it's not like some sort of weird hippy dippy thing, but there is like when you're in a certain area, you just feel different, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like to be able to stay there longer is what you want to be able to do. And that's the great thing about this lifestyle. Any idea how long it'll take to sell the house? I mean, how's the market down there and how long are you guys going to be there? I hope it'll go quick. We're actually in Louisiana. We're in full back to school season here. So I think we're hitting a little bit of a slump with people stopping looking at houses and getting their kids back in school. But and once and, and the hurricane's coming at us, once I think all of this passes, ho- I'm hoping that it'll go pretty quickly. We've had a couple of showings and some interests, but nothing, no real bites yet. But it's only been on the market a week and a half. So it's still pretty early. Is there a downsizing process you're doing right now? I mean, was the house obviously still completely fully furnished and now you've got to either sell, get rid of storage? What's your kind of mindset with the stuff? Oh, yeah. Major downsizing here. I literally just left everything as is and took off. Meg's is becoming like a little (laughs) Facebook marketplace entrepreneur over here and selling everything. And then I think probably storing bigger pieces for the future, but that still remains undecided. I may just sell everything. Or if somebody wanted to come in and say, I'll want to buy the house with everything in it as is, that would be ideal. Yeah. That would be very cool and very helpful. Yeah. I mean, that that might be a big plus for someone too. It's just to know that they can take their time and weed through the things they like and don't like. I've seen a couple of probate sales that have gone that way where the family just sell it as is. And you do find some really cool stuff that you end up with. So that's always fun. I think the downsizing process is interesting and Megan, it was a little different for you because obviously going through a divorce, you were moving things around and deciding to hang out with friends. I went through the same thing with my first divorce. That's right. I'm a two-time loser in that area. Thank you for bringing that up. <laughs> and, um, but I did, I like almost left everything because the kids and the wife needed to stay in the house and I had to start from scratch, which I wish I would have learned then because I was still pretty young. I was maybe 31 at the time and it would have been nice to have just learned that I didn't need all this stuff. How are you guys learning? What's new with you guys since living this lifestyle in regards to stuff? I have always been kind of a minimalist. I don't like a lot of stuff. I've never really found joy in having stuff. For me, it's kind of my jam. I'm loving it to be even more of a minimalist or having to be even more of a minimalist. 
Megs, I think that's a journey that you're still kind of learning and mm-hmm. yeah, the enjoying. divorce definitely forced me to be more minimalistic, but stuff for whatever reason has sentimental value, you know, so, oh, so-and-so gave me this eight years ago. And even though I've never used it, every time I look at it, it reminds me of them <laughs> and that's special to me. And so my workaround has been, I take a picture of it now and then I can get rid of the thing, but I still have a picture of it so that I still get the same feeling and looking at a picture of the thing than I do of the actual object. But it is. I mean, even for Christmas last year, I'm saying to family, please don't get me anything. Literally, I cannot fit it. So there's no space for it. The basement is full, the basement in the RV, and it's not no stuff. But if you would like to get a gas card or um, any type of, you know, gift card, restaurant gift card, anything like that, that would be great. My mom got me like the Good Sam membership, which was awesome different things that also helping family learn what an appropriate gift would be without it being stuff. It just also made me realize how much as a culture gift giving and just crap builds up saying, look, spending quality time or let the gift be letting me park in your driveway and plug into your house for this week. That would be an awesome gift. you know? Yeah. I think there's a book, you're a badass. And I think she talks about in that book that someone gave someone an owl ornament. And so then over years came like all these owl type things, like she was some owl collector. Then one day she just got rid of everything and it freaked everyone else around her out where she was like, I don't really like owls that much. I don't know why you guys kept giving me this stuff. And then the whole family got like really like offended and upset where it was like, how come you don't like owls anymore? You had this whole collection. She's like, I just don't want it. It was funny to me because like this is her life and somehow the whole family's gotten together and decide she's the owl collector and she doesn't want them. And it's garbage that you just really don't need or want. It's been something that's come up in this podcast a lot where people talk about that transition. And probably the one that hit me the hardest was when someone said they've been saving this to give away to the family. And at some point, nobody wanted it. She had put such a high value on something and had an expectation that the generations below her would want it. And they're like, no, we don't want that. We don't need that. It's just this weird thing we do with stuff. Mm-hmm. It it's, is very freeing to get rid of it. It's nice to not have stuff. And isn't it weird? I mean, that's not what we're taught. If you literally have a space in a house and there's something not there, it freaks people out. They'll, they'll come over and be like, what are you going to put here? Nothing. But there, should, <laughs> but there should be something there. I'm like, yeah, but then I have to walk around it. And right now it's a straight shot to the outdoor. But this is where a couch could go. There's seating for nine. It's so weird. And it's just a phenomenon in this life. So true. Let's talk a little bit about the work. Let's break it down a little bit more. So it sounds like you both have remote jobs where the real thing is internet. Obviously, Megan, every once in a while, you have to do stuff live and in person. What are you guys exactly doing? Do you guys mind sharing? We actually both work for programs that teachers use in their classrooms to supplement their curriculum. We're still in education without being in a school. We're actually competitors. Our companies are competitors. So we're a house divided here. We facilitate trainings for schools all over the country for teachers to learn how to use our programs and implement it in their classrooms. Honestly, that's probably been the hardest part, I would say, about figuring out the space just because it is so small. There's not a separate room in the RV. When we're both on webinars, one person goes outside and the other person's inside or one person sits in the front cab area and one person sits in the very back corner on the bed. Otherwise, you can hear the other person on your webinar. That's been the hardest part, I think, to figure out with the space. I would look into directional microphones that are really good. Like, I mean, literally, I'm talking right now. And if I move, I go completely out. And what's really cool about those kind of mics is that it's not going to pick up the sound around. So there is workarounds. There's actually even software now, too, that will understand when someone's talking to mute out the background noise. And that works if it's only one person talking. But like right now, if both of you are talking and you talked at the same time, it would mute one person out. So there are some really cool workarounds for that stuff. So definitely look into it because I mean, almost like I feel like you guys could almost be at the same table even as long as you have big headphones on and you're talking, it won't be able to hear the other person, which is really cool. Technology is cool. <laughs> like I get into it and geek out a little. You're changing our life over here. Yeah, there is some really cool stuff. It's not the cheapest stuff out there, but it's not over the top where it'll break the bank. There is stuff Mm -hmm. out there that makes it really cool. And when you're in small areas work, I mean, I always trip about that. We work in cubicles and I'd only hear the one person on the phone and they've got white noise. They've got these directional headsets. That's how they're able to do it. Because you do notice it when you are like where you hear like the pit noise in the background when you're on those Mm -hmm. kind of customer service calls. And you're like, geez, you guys just all in the same room. What a nightmare. That's interesting that you guys are working for the competition. 
you guys mm-hmm. share secrets together and decide how to be able to outsell the other person? Or do you guys keep it pretty like, I'm not going to tell you about my company. You don't tell me about yours. Well, just in case anybody from my company <laughs> is listening, I never tell our secrets. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. it it's, yeah, it's, no, we, we collaborate quite a bit, I would yeah. say, and shoot ideas off of each other. It's funny too. We'll hear the other one on a webinar and I'll be like, ooh, sounds like you guys got a new update in the program this week. It's pretty collaborative. So far, there's been no conflict, but knock on wood. I think it's a collective. I mean, even though we are competing for business with our companies, we're all working for the greater good of education. And thankfully, neither one of us are... We're not in sales. So we're not trying to compete for the sales. The customers already bought it. We're just the ones training them on how to use it. Gotcha. Okay. That makes total sense for sure. Mm -hmm. But I did... Candice, you did use my, my senior motto in the beginning was like, we're in education, but we're just not going to school. Yeah, that was me. My senior year. (laughs) <laughs> so i think i might have some royalties on that you might owe me but you know keep using it it's totally fine um so we've talked about traveling we've talked about work oh actually one thing i want to back up on traveling and i hope to not cause any kind of riff in your guys's friendship but is there ever an idea of getting a second rig and caravanning or getting a larger rig now that it's kind of both of you damon it's a really touchy subject and now <laughs> we're about it. So, I, have a, I have a couch you can stay on for a year or two you're good <laughs> Um, we've talked about it. We've talked about, you know, splitting up and each having a rig or either getting a bigger one so that we're not in the tightest space ever together. Look, you have a bunk. I don't know what more you want. Okay. I don't know. We'll see. Hopefully. I mean, once I sell this house, I'll have more money so it will be more feasible. I think for the time being, we're going to stick with what we have. If we decide to continue past the kind of one year that we're giving ourselves, then maybe things will change a little bit. But who knows? I mean, a year is a long time and things can change. And But for now, we're going to stick with what we have. And I mean, I always tell Candace anytime she said, you know, do you think we should get a like look into a bigger one? I said, sure, go right ahead. You could look into that. You know, (laughs) this one fits me just nicely. (laughs) That's totally funny. I think a year is a good marker really in anything nowadays. And I try to encourage people with that, whether it's creating content, whether it's a job, this lifestyle. I feel like after a year, you really figure things out. So it's like figure things out, wait a year, whether it's a rig or whatever it is. And so, I mean, once the house is sold, yeah, like give it a year, do the traveling. And then, like you said, you guys can come back. And that's what's really cool about this lifestyle, too. It's really fluid. It's a lot easier to sell and upgrade and downgrade. And it just doesn't have the time delays that are in and around bricks and sticks. You can just really make some pretty quick decisions, which I've always liked. Let me ask you about work. What do you guys feel like on this lifestyle? Are you less or more productive when it comes to work? That's a good question. It doesn't feel any different for me. I feel like it's equal. It's a hard question to answer because I haven't been in this lifestyle with any other job. You know, when we were living in Baton Rouge and we were working at a school, our whole life was the school. We slept, ate and and breathed the school. It was not a job. It was a lifestyle. And I think the difference now is that our jobs are a job and our life is our life. Like the traveling and meeting people and immersing ourselves in different cultures of different states, that is our lifestyle now. So I think for like a work-life balance, we're much more healthy and balanced in this life. I don't know if I can answer a more or less because I've only been in this job on the road. And so I don't know in like a sort of regular life at home, I would feel differently. No, that does that makes, make sense? Yeah, it does. I mean, I, I guess the things that I look for too is when we work for someone else and we work in an office, there's the commute. There's all the, the conversations mm-hmm. that are going on at the water cooler. There's the meetings about meetings. There's all this stuff. And I feel like if employers are listening for any reason, I feel like you get a better employee, one that's living and traveling full time. You would think it would be the opposite. It's just that we're not dealing with the exhaustion of commute. I had a commute that was 90 minutes once to get to work. What kind of employee do you think I was when I got mm-hmm. to work at 930 and I've been on the road since 8 a.m.? Do you think I'm in a good mood? Do you think I want to start talking to people? So that's that kind of stuff that I always like, just like to hear and stuff, but it is different. It's like you guys really had some perfect timing because as teachers right now, this would be such a weird thing going on in and around mm-hmm. COVID and teaching and being in person, not knowing and trying to figure it out that you guys have been able to get out of that. Has that affected the businesses at all in regards to teaching about your programs? Oh, yes. It, um, so usually the back to school season and, and kind of from August through October is really busy for us. 
it slows down a little bit and kind of gets into a natural swing of things until the next fall for the busy season. Well, this year, that was so different. I mean, when we hit March, we were slammed. It was busier than busy season. We were both on calls and webinars from the time we woke up in the morning until dinner time. It was nuts. And we had to really make sure and prioritize strong internet the whole time in the spring initially because of that. It hasn't slowed down. I mean, it stayed busy throughout the summer and it stayed busy throughout the fall. I do think that... And when thinking about it that way, I guess more productive in the sense of exactly what you're saying, healthier individuals. Because as soon as we're done, or if we have a 30-minute break in the day, especially when we were out in the Idaho and Montana area, I mean, we were hopping out of the RV because it felt like the world is right outside your front door and we're popping out and doing a quick hike or a quick walk. And then as soon as we were both done for the day, we are fully turning off work, we're closing computers, and then we are out and about and going into the woods and exploring. And it was just so much fun. But then the next day when we're in work, it allowed us to, I think, fully be present in either realm. We're fully in work mode or we're fully in play mode, but then people are getting the best of us in whichever mode we're in. Well, also because when you work in a normal setting and you're coming home, like like you're saying, Damien, and you have the commute home, you get home, you end up like sitting in front of the TV all night, eating some food, and then you just go to bed and you do it all over again. This feels most like Megs is saying, like we're more active. And so then we have more energy. We're feeling better about ourselves. We don't ever watch TV or hardly ever watch TV. And it's just not a really a thing in this life. Our time is spent more deliberately and intentionally. I would agree with you that it makes us better employees. You know what I also wonder too, and I haven't asked this really, is I feel like though in the conversations, I feel like everyone's like eating habits changes in this lifestyle. I was a fast food opportunist. Back in the day, there'd be times where I just would be exhausted and it'd be so easy just to stop and get myself and the kids something to eat. And obviously in this lifestyle, I rarely do that. I'll go to some pretty cool, unique restaurants, but most of it I'm cooking a lot more. Has there been a change in your guys' kind of diet? It's just a weird question, but it's just something I've been thinking about lately with people. Yes, definitely. I would say that we are trying to be healthier and eat healthier and eat cleaner it's hard to go through a drive through in an RV. So that has mitigated that a little bit for us, especially during COVID when restaurants were only the drive throughs were open. There was no way of, of getting fast food. Before in our prior lives, it was like, okay, let's just put a DiGiorno in the oven. I don't feel like cooking. I've been at school all day. I'm just getting home and I have papers to grade and I have this to do. Prioritizing my health, that wasn't even on my radar. I would agree with you. Like now... We are cooking, we are grocery shopping and intentionally buying healthier things because we're feeling better and more active. So we want to also incorporate that into our meal plans. I think there's also something about this life that makes us want to try more things. Like it makes us, yeah, just like take risks or try new things more often because everything is sort of trying something new. Like, oh, let's try this trail today or let's try this. Well, it's kind of the same with food. So it's like, oh, let's try what it's like to cook over an open fire. And can we get better at that? Or I'm like, oh, I got this awesome cast iron skillet. And now I want to try different things in the cast iron. And it's also just figuring it out or the difference between fish on, in a pan and fish on, you know, grilling it over the open fire. So I think that it has made us both more exploratory with our food and we're eating and trying things that we never even tried prior to this. And probably wouldn't have. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, for me, like, it's not that I'm all about capitalism, but there's something about franchises and chains now where I've just kind of been like, meh, I'd rather go to like some cool mama pop. Like I've never ate at a Waffle House. There's not a lot on the West Coast. I've been on this trip and I've talked to RVers and they're like, what? How did you not initiated yet then? That's like part of being an RVer is stopping at a Waffle House. And I'm like, I haven't done it yet. I've done every other chain. It's kind of cool to have one chain that I haven't done. I definitely do like the exploring out to the, the mom and pops that you just don't know. These little hole in the walls have been amazing. I do want to talk yeah. about exploring for you guys too, like what that looks like when you're not traveling, when you're not working, and when you have more than, let's say, 30 minutes to just get out there and run around. First off, I just want to say what you have to go to a Waffle House. We are huge Waffle House fans, so we're going to join the rest of mm -hmm. the naysayers here to you. Um, <laughs> best waffles ever make it happen, Damien. All right. When you, when you go to California and you go to a Tommy's and you have a chili cheeseburger, call me up and then I'll do the Waffle House. Okay. okay all right. Deal. Deal. Yeah. We like to hike. 
Candace is with you on the finding the mom and pop food places. Oh yeah, I love food. Oh my gosh, that girl loves some food. I don't know how she's skinny. It really confuses me because my body, I can think about food and I gain weight, but she wants to try all the food. So I'm still figuring out how to be a friend to somebody like that without just being huge. (laughs) She's with you on that. I mean, every place we go, she's like, we need to ask the locals and find out where the places are for food because they will know. And then we're going to go to all of them. So we do that. Then we also, we, we really try to find what is unique to that place and try to do it. And that's honestly what's made us, you know, I think earlier you said, like when a place touches you, I think that's what's made us fall in love with every place. Whenever people ask, what is your favorite? I'm like, oh, and I start naming one. And then all of a sudden I start naming 10. And I'm like, well, crap, I guess I don't have a favorite because they're all my favorites. But that's because every place has something special. So, you know, we were in Tulsa and there was this adult and kid playground combination. I mean, it was phenomenal. And we ended up going back there three days in a row because it was just so cool. Then all these other little things around Tulsa started popping up. We love the Smoky Mountains because there's Pigeon Forge and Gatlinburg and we love to be a tourist sometimes. But then we also love to just walk around the forest. In Idaho, the number of hot springs that you can just pull off on the side of the road and hop into a hot spring, it was phenomenal. We love to find out what about this place makes it what it is. What do people who live here love about this place? And let's fall in love with it too. Yeah. What are the secrets? What are the hidden gems? What do they not want tourists to know so that they don't get overcrowded? That's what we want to know. Hey, the places you don't tell people to go. Can you tell me where those are? Because I want to (laughs) go. It's got to be a fun conversation. I too can't remember the name of the Tulsa playground, but I do love that I've been there. What is it called? The Gathering Place. That's what it's called. They weren't trying to hide that from tourists. They called it the Gathering Place. Yeah. We went to like a really cool little farmer's market that was just down the street. Then we stopped at that. The reason this is in my memory a lot now, it was probably one of the first times like out in public, people are out walking around. And the first time I saw the signs of stay six feet away, mm-hmm. I'm six foot six. Like that's the kind of math I'm doing. Well, I'm six, six. I'm always staying six feet away. You know, <laughs> there are some guys that I'm noticing that are staying like five foot nine away. And you guys, that's not six feet. Okay. So please let's, let's work on the math on that. I do love that. I think outside this lifestyle, when you're describing that gathering place, I would have no idea what you're talking about. It would not have been something on my radar. But once you are in the city, you do start looking for other things. That's really cool that I have been there. I know exactly what you're talking about and the great little areas you could sit and just sit and watch the water. They have kayaks and boats you can rent too. I think all that was shut down when I was there. Did you guys do a lot of hiking before or is this kind of new? No, this is new. We're both kind of city girls, I would say. Well, I don't know about city, but... I don't know, just non hikers. <laughs> I was a couch and game board type of girl. And, uh, but then I bought some hiking boots on eBay and then said, all right, well, let's do this thing. And then we've fallen in love with it. And now, if we don't do something like that, we get antsy. You know, now we're like, both of us are like, do we have to actually be here while we're trying to sell the house? Cause we need to get out. We're ready to get out. Not only is the hurricane making us feel that way, just because we need to be outside now, we've gotten addicted to being outside. Yeah. And I think this lifestyle does do that. I mean, I look, I'm originally from Los Angeles and Orange County, Southern California. Like there isn't a more of a get outside, but there's still been a huge change in my lifestyle being here because everything is just easy to get to where going for a hike meant driving for an hour, parking so far away where I parked my car to the entrance of the hike was the hike. Like I was already done. I was like, that's two (laughs) miles. Like, what am I doing now? My first real hike was Angel's Landing. And uh, that's a no joke hike. I'm glad that was kind of my first. I mean, I was overweight. I basically (laughs) was just like, I couldn't believe I did it. And then because that's such a level of a hike that every hike since has been nothing. I do really look for loop hikes. I don't like where you hike up and you turn around and come back. I really like finding loop hikes. Those are the ones I enjoy the most. We're with you on that. Yeah. Also, if there's like a reward at the end, I'm all about that hike. Like, <laughs> you uh, look like a Dairy Queen at the top. Is that what you're talking? Yeah. There's, a, there's a Waffle House, Damien, at the top of this hike. You just do two miles and there'll be one there. It's free. That would be the ultimate. That is how Candace decides if she's going to go on the hike. Wait, is there a lake or some beautiful view at the end of this? And she's with you on the return hikes too. If it's a there and back hike, the back, you can anticipate she'll be complaining. <laughs> I have the, okay. per- the perfect hike for you is in Maine and I believe it's called Beehive. I could be wrong. It is a loop hike, but it's a climbing hike. They built in little wrought iron ladders and you get all the way to the top and there's a lake at the top, but don't swim in it. There's a ton of leeches and then you get the loop back around. It's one of the best. I also find out in this lifestyle, 
if a hike is longer than I'd say even a mile and a half, you really get out to where there's no one. Most people give up. They can get the Instagram shot in the first 500 feet. They get the shot. They went hiking. They turn around, they get back in their car. If you can go a mile or two out, you'll be out there by yourself. I don't know if you guys noticed that too. We found the same. Sometimes we realize that the reason we're the only ones is because it was a terrible hike. But <laughs> most of the time it's because like you said, people just stopped and, and we're like, man, if only they would have kept going. I mean, it's, they had no idea what they were missing out here. The other piece of advice is there's a lot of parks and hikes and trails that have the same name. Learn from mine and Nikki's mistake. She wanted to go on this hike. She downloaded the map. We went on the hike. She keeps telling me this is a loop. And I'm just looking at the trail and being like, this, there's no way this loops around. She downloaded a hiking map for a trail in a whole nother state, not even close. And we literally, oh, no. it was supposed to be like a four mile loop. We ended up doing like almost 11 miles because we were so like, oh, I know. <laughs> and it was so steep in the beginning. And that's all you thought about when you're walking back is I'm going to have to go down this. And, you know, it's six, six. It, that's one of the things I always laugh at. The, the longer legs aren't fun on hikes. People think it's a lot of fun. It's not. It's, you know, it's like rock climbing. People are like, hey, Damien, you want to go rock climbing? Look, trying to lift 280 pounds is not the same as lifting 170, Chad. You know, it's a lot <laughs> easier for you. You know, you put on a 50 pound backpack and let's go. Um, so that's my <laughs> other advice is really make sure because you might get somewhere where there's not cell service and you can't see a map. You still don't realize you're on the wrong you know, map and you think there's some trail fell. It's the weirdest thing. So my advice. And the one no, time I was complaining the whole time. I was, but also laughing in a sense too, because but the funniest part is when we got back to the truck, there's a huge billboard that shows the trails that neither one of us even looked at. And you can clearly see from just moment one, this is a trail up to the waterfall. This is a turn around and come back. That's legitimately what it is. We ended up like on the Appalachian Trail or something. I just was like, we're going to have to call a helicopter and we don't have self-service. So I don't know. I don't know the smoke signal for a helicopter. You know how that works. Anything. So it's great that you guys are exploring more. I love hearing that because it's definitely something that's been in my life. It's definitely something that's been on the podcast where a lot of people say that they've become a lot more just getting out and just doing things, which is great. In the wrap up, what I like to do is uh, I do this thing, the high low. First, I like to start with the low. So then we're ending with a high. Has there been kind of a low in this lifestyle that maybe you didn't expect? And it can't be flat tires, internet, or COVID, because just really you know, the flat tires and internet is always going to be a part of a frustration in our lifestyle. And obviously, yeah. COVID is not going to be here with us forever. Knock on wood, hopefully not. And so, what's been kind of a low in this lifestyle for you guys? Um, I think for me, it's missing my family. I am really, really close to my family. I was born and raised in Baton Rouge and I haven't lived anywhere else. I went to college here. I Obviously, my career is here or was here and all my family is still here. And so I'm very, very close to them. And so this is the longest that I've been away from them. And it's really hard. And I have three nephews. I miss things in their lives, which I've never missed before. I've been in every birthday party and every graduation and whatever's going on in their lives. And I think that that's been a really difficult transition for me. I just realized that this is sort of my time to go live my life. And I can't just stick around here going to all of their events and not living my life. That's been a learning curve for me, but also probably the hardest part for me is just like really missing them and missing family things. Do you think, though, that has anything to do with the same kind of parallel to stuff in a way? It's like just something that we've been trained to. I mean, you're the first person that really talked about it is that I'm missing these moments that I've never missed before. Is that quantity versus quality? And now probably the family time when you are back home, it's a lot more quality than it has been in the past. I mean, I don't know. You can speak to that. But I just wonder if that's one of those little mind tricks that we kind of do with ourselves where... I mean, you said it, if all you did was stay where you needed to stay so you could be there for all of their milestones, which there was just thousands of those. That makes complete sense when you compare it to the stuff thing. Like, is this just the social norms that I think that I need to live by? And I actually don't. And the times where I'm back with them, the quality of that time is so much more than just the quantity of always being at every event. It's something I hadn't really thought about either. Megan, what about you? It is hard to answer that because I think I was in such a low before this that this past year has been so healing for me. I don't know. It's just felt very freeing. And it's hard for me to pick a low, honestly, because I think it was there was such a low before it that this kind of was my release and was my, ah, I, I feel like I can breathe again. You don't have to make one up. I mean, that, that makes total sense. <laughs> well, if you're coming from a place. It's a low that feels weird, which is 
sometimes when we've seen so much beauty in a really constricted amount of time, it makes it hard to appreciate it. And so there'll be times where at first we were going so fast and it was also because of my work, but we were going from city to city. We would be in two cities a week, usually, or two places a week. And we thought that's what we had to do. We weren't able to appreciate it. We, we started to realize that we were just breezing through these places and it'd be like, oh, that's beautiful. Take a picture. Oh, that's beautiful. Take a picture. Oh, that's beautiful. Take a picture of me in front of it. You know, it's like whatever it was. And then all of a sudden it was just all blurring together and we were exhausted. And so then we decided, okay, we're going to pause. And when we go to a place, that's when we made up the rule of we're going to stay here until we're done with this place or not done with it, but like, you know, we're ready to move on. And oh my gosh, that helped so much. It just helped us to truly appreciate it before moving on to another place. That would be my biggest like learning curve, I guess, from the past year. Well, a lot of times too, it makes me laugh. The low is really like, oh, well, you know, we had a problem with our TV antenna. I've had that. Okay, let's work on something else. But it, the low <laughs> has to do with the rig. Or if you ask someone who lives in a bricks and sticks, what's been your low? The answer is my aunt went through cancer. You know what I mean? Like immediately that's what comes to mind. And it's weird that it's not that we don't deal with our aunts having cancer or we're on the road, but for some reason, that's not the thing that sticks with us when we think about this life. I think we start experiencing so many highs. We're relating it to our old life. When we went on vacation, our highs were very intense. We could tell a big difference between work life and vacation life. Where Mm -hmm. now I will say that after three years, There have been moments where I kind of forgot about the gathering place until you mentioned that. I was like, oh, that was a really cool, fun walk around and hike and little adventure day and messing around with the playgrounds. And it's funny because you brought me back to a moment where I saw these parents literally knock over a do not enter sign to let their kids play in a playground. And I just remember myself being like, what is that kid going to be in 15 years (laughs) where that's the parental, (laughs) the parental like this is what mom and dad did. There was a sign do not enter under construction and they kick down the sign and they go in there you know, kind of a thing. But it's funny that I totally forgot about that. But there is that. There is that where it's like one of our lows can be that our highs are all kind of blurring together. But I will talk about a high. I want to hear a high from you guys. What has been a, I can't believe this is my life kind of moment since you guys have been Mm. on the road and it can't be being on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Mine really would be the ability to go and stay on the prairie in South Dakota. It was just this like such surreal moment of As a kid, I loved these books and I watched this TV show and I put on the little costumes and pretended that our living room was the prairie or what have you. Now I have my handle as mini house. I have my mini house on the prairie that she actually lived on. And we had the opportunity. I mean, it was just an amazing little place. And I ran through the prairie fields as if I was seven again. I mean, it was just this really kind of full circle surreal moment of this dream as a kid to be on the prairie. And then right now I actually have my house on the same prairie. It was, it was pretty powerful. I'm going to like break the rules here. I I don't said you have to pick one. No, but I don't have one. I think so often I just turn to Meg's and say, I can't believe this is our life. I cannot believe this is our life. Like all of our other friends are sitting at their desks or They're dealing with angry parents and kids making not so great choices right now at school. And we are driving around Idaho or we are headed to Yellowstone. I'm like, I can't believe this is our life. I still say that. I still, you know, 10 months in, I'm saying, I can't believe this is our life almost daily. I'm still, I think, in the honeymoon phase. And I I hope there isn't a honeymoon phase. I hope that doesn't ever end. And you can tell me, I'm sure it does. It, it does for everything. But I still feel very much in the honeymoon phase where I'm like, I can't believe that we're together. You know, or, I can't believe we're married. But it's like, I can't believe this is our life and that we get to do this daily. And I feel bad that our friends are back at home at their desks. But, you know, they chose that and we chose this. So I don't have a specific moment or time. It, I'm still in it every day that way. That makes total sense. No, that was a good rule breaker. Normally, I'm going to break my own rules. Normally, this is where I go into like where people can find you. But I thought of a cool question. What was your guys' feeling about homeschool as teachers real quick? Were you guys for it or were you guys against it? I wouldn't say it was a for or against. Most of the kiddos that I have come into contact with that were homeschooled, I always felt like, and and I'm sure I'm going to offend somebody here, but I always felt like they were lacking in social skills. 
And so that was always my big factor if somebody was considering taking their kid out of our school and wanting to homeschool. I would say, you know, we have sports and we have dances and we have extracurricular activities and they're getting the social aspect that I think is so important as kids are developing and growing. That was always the sort of the low point of of homeschool for me. Now, that's not to say that the that they're not getting more educationally because of the one on one attention. I can't really speak to the curriculum. For me, it was always about the social aspect that kids that were being homeschooled were lacking. And I agree with that. And I feel like, so me, four kids, there's no way I was homeschooling. It just wasn't happening. (laughs) Especially, I mean, like after third grade, they're like, dad, can you help? I'm like, Google it. What's Google? (laughs) I'm like, I don't know. It hasn't been invented yet, but you're going to need it because dad doesn't know that shit. (laughs) I feel like the kids that I've met on the road, the ones that are road schooled, the ones that are spending two months in DC and learning about US history and being close by and then moving on to somewhere else and learning about something else. They seem to be homeschooled, but they seem to also really have all those social skills, which is yes, really interesting. I totally agree with that. I think there's a difference between a regular homeschool and an on-the-road homeschool. Mm-hmm. The kids that we have met from different families that we've met, I'm like, you guys are superb. You guys are like mm-hmm. the outliers here. You're the you're the example that all homeschool parents should come and learn from. They are getting the social, the cultural, the like life. The life homeschool with the education. I completely agree with that. I wanted to ask that question because that's really what's happened to me where I was like, I I hate to say that I was anti-homeschool. I think I was for sure. But now that I've been on the road and met a lot of these road school kids that they were part-time probably public schools or in school. Now they're doing road school. I want to encourage parents that maybe you are seeing homeschoolers and you think that, well, I don't want to do that because the homeschoolers I've seen have some sort of social skills that are just offset. That doesn't happen in road schooling. And that's one of the things I just kind of wanted to talk about. Where can people find you guys? Where are you guys on in regards to social media or anything? Like where can people reach out if they want to ask questions, especially if it's teachers that want to transition out of teaching and get online and then living this lifestyle? For sure. They can find us on Instagram. We are at mini house, big living, M-I-N-I house, big living with a G on the end. DM us. Email us. Our email is linked on there. And we are happy to provide suggestions for places to go or answer any questions that folks have about our transition into tiny living or remote work, any of that. That's awesome. And I'll link all that down below. Megan, Candice, I really appreciate you guys coming on the show and hanging out with me. And um, I hope to meet you guys on the road sometime. Yes, we would love that. Damien, it was our pleasure. Thank you for inviting us. We feel very honored and flattered that you thought of us. Yes, thank you. You bet. Thanks, you guys. Well, another fun episode. And again, a big thank you to Megan and Candice for coming on the show and giving us an insider's look at what it's like to travel with your best friend, something I know all too well. I will be bringing on some more solo travelers on the show soon, but it's great to be able to do this with a friend. Feel free to reach out to them or follow them on their adventures in the links in the show notes. Also, just a friendly reminder, if you're enjoying the Rootless Living podcast or the magazine, make sure to let your friends and family know by sharing us on your favorite social media channel. It's a really big help in getting the word out and if you use the hashtag rootless living we'll share it as well and like always if you think you know someone that would make a good guest or that guest might even be you please send us an email at podcast at rootlessliving.com again that's podcast at rootlessliving.com and let's see if we can help tell your story until next week stay rootless